Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Robcast. This is episode 240. And uh, if I sound a little loopy, it's because my daughter turned 10 this week. And yesterday we did a 10-year-old girl birthday party. Are you familiar with these? It was an epic affair, to say the least. By the way, I should tell you, we had a balloon guy come. Are you familiar with these balloon guys? He shows up, he comes in the front door, and he has like a like a thing around his waist loaded with tools, like scissors and a pump, and then every shade of uh, uninflated balloon you can imagine. And for one hour, he just did nothing but make unbelievable things out of balloons. Elephants and swords and hats, and he made hot dogs, and at one point... Because it was really, really impressive. It was like high art this gentleman was doing in our house. At one point, he says to Kristen, you can make pretty much anything with balloons. (laughs) How inspiring is that? You can make pretty much anything with balloons. (laughs) So I am still laughing from that. Actually... Um, yesterday was the party, but earlier in the week she turned 10, but we were, um, in New York for a while. And so we did a 10 year old birthday in New York. And I also, while I was there, did this interview, which is this episode with Maddie Corman. So in a minute, I got to tell you about that. But first, um, some other things. I have a new Largo show coming up. I was originally going to do the show on, uh, art, science, sex, and death. But there's this other thing I've been working on, and I ran that idea by some friends, and they were unanimously like, no, you need to do that. So I'm doing a new show at Largo, May 14th. It's called Son of a Judge. Uh, Do you know that, by the way? My dad was a judge for 44 years. So uh, I'm the son of a judge, and I'm going to be doing this whole show on things I've never talked about. And honestly... uh, it's slightly terrifying, which of course is always the direction to head in, right? Um, but I'm going to try a whole new thing I've never talked about publicly, and we're going to see what happens. So that's at Largo, May 14th. Tickets are at Largo-LA.com. And then I'll be in uh, Fresno in May in a couple of weeks and Santa Barbara for the Introduction to Joy tour. And then um, June, I'll be in Knoxville, Chattanooga, and Louisville. And then July, Portland, I'm coming your way, Seattle, and San Francisco. And then the UK tour is in August, and I'll uh, be in Bristol. I've never done anything in Bristol, but Banksy is from Bristol. So how is that not going to be a fantastic time? Bristol, I'm coming your way. Then London, um, I'm doing the venue Earth in London, and then Manchester, and then three nights in Edinburgh, Scotland, which is one of my favorite cities in the whole wide world. So UK tour is August, um, and all those tickets, everything for that is at robbell.com. So there we go. A couple of things. Hopefully I am coming your way, and if I'm coming your way with those dates, just hang out, hang around, because we will get there <laughs> eventually. Now, I need to set up this, what you're about to hear. Um, because you know my friend Kristen Hange, who is directing um, my play 
Watsanaka and, and another play that I wrote. So Kristen Hange and I have spent all kinds of time together. She's um, a director, directs musicals, plays, etc. A little while ago, we were chatting about the work that we're up to, and she said, mentioned that she was directing a new one-woman show by Maddie Corman. Maddie Corman's an actor who's been, um, I mean, if you saw the list of movies and TV shows, you'd be like, oh yeah, I know Maddie Corman. Anyway, Maddie Corman went through, uh, oh, she, she actually in this interview, she mentions what happened to her, but she went through a horrific, traumatic experience. And then a couple years after the experience, started talking to Kristen Hange about turning the experience into a one-woman show. And then a couple months ago, Maddie was in Los Angeles and did a preview of this new one-woman show she was going to do. Kristen and I went to it. Um, it was right here in the neighborhood. And I'm telling you, friends, the thing that she went through and then the work of art she has crafted in response to it. It's her all alone on stage for like an hour and a half, recounting what she went through and what she learned and where she's at now. It was just stunning, just stunning. And and I, uh, beyond being so moved, I was also filled with so many questions for her about the process and knowing that she was gonna do the show off Broadway. And she's doing it now through July. So she's doing eight shows a week. And it's been uh, written up, reviewed, et cetera. You can Google all you want if you want more uh, to know about the show. But when I was in New York last week, I had a chance to meet up with her. She had just come off stage doing the having done that day's show. And I got to ask her all the questions that I wanted to ask her. And of course, um, I recorded it because I was thinking of you all and thinking of how many of you... Um, when you hear her, and if there's any way you can make it to New York, um, well, you'll see in the interview. This is a this is an extraordinary woman who went through something. Just uh, I don't even know what the word is, um, and uh, you'll see this sort of resilient, buoyant, honest, um, searingly honest. Uh, person that she is. She's really, really, really inspired me. And I think you'll find um, our interaction, the, the questions I got to ask her. And when you hear sort of where she's coming from, I think you'll see why I was so keen to interview her. So uh, this is an interview that happened at Kristen Hange's uh, table in her apartment in uh, New York City. Maddie had just finished um, her show and we sat down, and here you go. When I saw the preview show, among the thousand things going on in my head was, she's going to do this like every night? <laughs> Eight times a week. Um, I thought about like physical conditioning, but then I thought about like emotional fitness or... When you committed to do this, did you take all of that into account? No, <laughs> but um, you know my director and um, the there, great Kristen, the Hange. great Kristen Hange, and there have been afternoons or nights where I have said, "I don't know if I can do this." Really, mostly because of fear, um, mm -hmm. and she always says to me, "There's someone out there that needs to hear the story tonight." So that helps, fear, even if I'm tired or fear more scared. than fatigue. Yes, 
which kind? Well, I've been fatigued for years, <laughs> <laughs> but fear, fear of judgment, fear mm. that I won't be able to reach the heights that I reached the first time I did it, fear that someone will not like me, fear that someone will not like my family, who I actually kind of portray in the show, fear that the compassion that has been offered me will stop today, fear that I'll be misunderstood or hated. And how many shows have you done so far? Oh, gosh. Um, what have we been running for about a month, I guess? Eight times a week. I'm not great at math. And so. how much more? We run, um, for now, we run until July 13th. Oh, my word. Yeah. Do you have... I try not to think about that. I truly try to think about today. Yes, I was going to say. Which, you know, I lived through a really traumatic thing. So doing the play is hard, but it's a very different kind of hard. I'll take this any day. Yes. And there's a lot of incredible feedback after each time I do the show, which really nourishes and fills me back up. The response that I get both from the audience while I'm doing it and then in the little lobby after, or people who write me or find me, text, Instagram, Facebook messages. It can be really... I have really... a whole bunch of questions about that. That's yes. my third category of questions. Yes. Um, the... Not that I have this all planned out. What <laughs> do you, when you are telling the story, yeah. are you back there in those moments? Are you, because you've been an actor for years. I have. So you do know how to summon an experience. Correct. But this didn't feel like that at all when I saw it. I think it's a combination of technique and if I may, spirit. I mean, I've always been a person who has a little bit of a prayer practice before I go on. I always kind of turn tonight's performance over and say, fill me up so that other people can bear witness. I mean, that's just my secret, which I now shared with is, you. And is, your... that the, is that the synopsis of the prayer? That's the synopsis of the <laughs> prayer. I try to have a moment of gratitude, sometimes three moments of gratitude, yeah. and then a, I tr I, this is not me. I turn it over and please fill me up that somebody else may bear witness to this. Uh, this particular story is in my bones. I mean, it's my true story, but yes, I'm telling different parts of the story that were very traumatic and that truly affected my body. Um, so I do feel it, but I have a kind of, it's hard to describe. I guess I would call it like a loving detachment from it where I'm in it, but I'm not re-traumatizing myself. Right. And that's when I when I saw the preview, I thought, oh, the art, the art literally of this will be to recreate it at some level without getting your soul and spirit and heart stuck like a groundhog day of the of yes. the of the heart every night. Well, it's interesting I, to me at least. <laughs> it might not be interesting to anyone else, but when I come out um after the show comes down and I get dressed and I go out and Every perform literally every performance so far, there have been people that I've known from some part of my life and some strangers who stay around to say hello. And it's often they are very, um, they almost have trouble speaking. And I'm like, hi, guys, let's go have a bite to eat. 
I don't actually go out because that physically I really can't yes, go out. My, my voice and my body need to rest. And also I get to go home and see my kids. Um, if I get right in a cab, I can get home in, before bedtime because I have teenagers, so they stay up late. Um, but there is a sort of release for me after the show and other people are still processing it. And I'm also talking about a very specific time and I am not in that time right now. Now it hasn't been 20 years. It's been three years, but three years is very different than three weeks. And, um, not that I don't still have triggers, not that I don't still remember those feelings, but I think in some ways telling the story eight times a week has been a shame reducer for me. Yeah. Um, I'm in group therapy, which I had never done before this. And I used to absolutely dread when a new person would come into group therapy because it meant I had to tell my story again and I had to deal with someone's reaction. And I've always been a person who, when I talk to you, I try to read you and negotiate what I'm going to say to make you like me and make it more palatable. Um, and I mean, to the point where I would even hide certain things I believe in and not necessarily lie, but just kind of be a chameleon and take your temperature and then decide how I feel. And with this story, when my husband got arrested for what he got arrested for, which was possession of child pornography, there was no way to make it nice for other people. Um, although I will say my fear of other people's reaction has been um, wrong sometimes. It's interesting mm -hmm. how, mm -hmm. especially um, young people. But that's another story. But telling the tale again and seeing people feel sorry for me or feel disgusted or whatever they might feel or what I make up their feeling is very or was extremely difficult for me and extremely scary. And that was traumatizing. But I have come to see that my therapist has a method to her madness and that in retelling my story and all of us, believe me, nobody's in this group who doesn't have a story, but in telling the story more than once and having to retell it to a new person, there is something where I feel less shame and I feel less that I am my story. I am me and this happened. Yeah, it like holds it at a some sort of psychic soul distance yeah. properly. When did you first have the idea of turning this into a show? You know... <sighs> I didn't even write necessarily during the whole traumatic times, but I did save texts that I, I wrote almost in a way by texting people and emailing certain people very close to me. And I would say about a year, year and a half out of the initial discovery, we call it discovery, um, I reached out to a friend of mine. Now, I've been acting since I was professionally since I was 14, and I'm in my 40s. Can't even remember how old I am. Well into my 40s. Uh, we were born eight days apart. <gasps> really? Yeah. Oh, no August, wonder. August 1970. Wow. I know. It was a good month. So, <laughs> clearly. Um, lucky me. So, 
I, I say that only because not to say, oh, I've been working. I know so many people, but I do know a lot of people. I know a ton of writers. I know a ton of directors. And there was never any doubt in my mind that I was going to reach out when I decided to write. I called Kristen Hangy, who was a friend, but I wouldn't say one of my closest friends, but I just knew. And she had reached out to me through, we share a very close friend. And my very close friend said, look, if and when you're ready, Kristen has reached out and said, not in any way about a creative endeavor, but just to say she's there and she wanted you to know that she's been through something, not the same thing, but something similar enough. And, um, you know, I want to protect Kristen, but she's pretty open about um, loving someone who has a sex addiction. Let's just put it like that. And she was generous enough to share that right away. And so I kind of knew that Kristen was a safe person, um, also because she's just delightful and delicious, but it was just, it just made sense in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I reached out to her very tentatively and said, hi, I think I maybe might be possibly ready to write about what happened. And her response was, yes, I've been waiting for this call. I know. And she had had a vision and she just said, yeah, come on over. And um, I think a few days after that, I came to her apartment, which is very womb-like and safe and nurturing. And we just talked and wrote and didn't even worry about structure. I've never written a play before. I've been doing plays for 30 years, but I've never written one. Um, And we would eat and laugh and pray and talk and write. And um, it really kind of just poured out of me. And I started to really look forward to, it was Mm -hmm. also really scary because I shared things with her that I hadn't shared with anyone. And I did relive certain times that were not fun to do. Um, And then, I don't know, a few months in, she said, okay. And I said, what do you mean? Okay. She said, we need to leave my apartment now. (laughs) And I was like, no. Um, She said, we're ready for a rehearsal space to see to see if we have something here, to see if you want to keep going, to see if this is a play, or is it just something you needed to experiment with? Um, So every step along the way, although it's been terrifying, it's also been oddly, I don't want to say easy, but it hasn't been difficult. It's been the right thing. Like, I reached out to Kristen, she said, of course, come over. And we started writing. And then she said, close your eyes. Where do we go next? And I said, I think this theater company that's been very good to me is the right place to go. And we and she said, okay, reach out to them. And I did. And I don't, I think the next day we had a rehearsal space. And then she said, what's next? And I just kept kind of closing my eyes. And she still tells me this, as does my angel, who I refer to, and my therapist. They say, Maddie, it's very noisy around you, get quiet, listen for the stillness, and you'll know what to do. So as crazy as it sounds, we did this one reading in New York City, and the next day, this amazing producer, Daryl Roth, who's kind of who you want to produce anything in theater, um, said, I'm ready. And then 
Kristen's schedule wasn't going to work and then it did. Everything just kind of... So yes, I've been very... It's very scary to tell this story, but I almost haven't had too much time to think about it because it's been one after the other after the other. We just ended up in LA, which is where I got to meet you and you saw our reading that we did because it just so happened that these two women who are now our producers live in LA and Kristen happened to be there. So they flew me out and I did it. And I don't know, it's just, it's always hard. No, not hard. It's odd to say that this is easy because obviously it's not easy, but it's been gentle. I guess, in a way. Oh, that's so interesting. The great architect Louis Kahn would begin a design by saying, what does this building want to be? Um, like an impact, what is within this that is demanding to be given expression? And what you're describing is like an impelling force. It yeah. wanted to be. And then you're just, I had a therapist who used to say, the only interesting thing is what is the next right step? Yeah. What, are we talking about the next right step? Oh, well then, if we aren't, then what are we talking about? Um, there's something really interesting that you, in the preview that I saw, you start to go into your husband's history. Yeah. And then you do this beautiful, like, like it's a very authoritative and sensitive and tender and strong, subtle move. It's got all these things. It was brilliant. Of, but that's his story. So, and I had this sense in the audience, because the audience goes, what details are we going to get? What is she going to reveal? What not? How much of this? There are these moments when you're like, I'll tell you this. This goes over here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, How did you, I assume you had to work through. Sure. What do I tell? What don't I tell? What's helpful? What's distracting? What's not even mine? Right. Especially with my kids. You know, I have three kids. Um, And my husband, who I love and who I respect. Now, our story, the sordid details of his arrest were in the New York Post and many, many other newspapers. So I wasn't, you know, it's one of the reasons it's called accidentally brave, because I wasn't this incredibly brave person who shared this deep, dark secret. I mean, it was already Mm -hmm. in the press. But then details, you know, and and what's mine to tell and what's not. You know, I've learned because of this, I had to really, really work hard on myself and reveal some of my secrets and look at my stuff. And I've learned that keeping secrets keeps you sick. Um, And things that, especially shame that we keep in the dark is not good for anyone. So I felt okay about shining a light on certain things. But I also know there's privacy and then there's secrecy. So I've, I've tried to um, toe the line. And I do say in the play, I say, I know it's tempting to ask about my husband's story and my kid's story, but that's not my story to tell. Mm-hmm. And I do want to share my story. And I will say, just as a partner of an addict and as a person who had her life really torn out from underneath her, it was nothing I expected. I was hungry for stories about someone who had been through that. And I am very interested in humanity and in the human situation. Um, And I longed for people and people came forward who shared what happened to them. 
um, almost every interview I do ends up going, well, what about this about him? What about that? And really, it's not that that's not interesting. I get that it's interesting, but I think it's okay to also tell a partner's story. And it's hard to tell without, of course, my husband's a big part of my life. My kids are a big part of my life. But I really wanted to share what it was like when I fell on the bathroom floor and started sobbing. Um, and a lot of people talk about that moment, but there's something about showing it and actually saying, look, here I am, um, that I wanted, I wanted to share the mess because other people who were brave enough and not just brave, kind enough to share their mess with me was what helped me more than anything. Any book, any therapy, and I love my therapist, mm -hmm. um, any 12-step meeting, which were also incredibly helpful, the individual human beings that came up to me and said, here's what happened to me in my dark night of the soul. That really helped me. Uh, there's, a, there's a moment when you are, go to Arizona yes. to visit him. Yes. By the way, uh, if you wanted a subtitle, I think the subtitle could be "So What Brings You to Arizona." <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorites. <laughs> that really happened. Um, uh, and there's, this, there's uh, also when I was watching you, the I mean, there's an ancient tradition of people going to the desert, going to the desert to have the moment of epiphany, realization, yeah. full brokenness, yeah. revelation, whatever it is. I mean, my husband definitely. Um, I don't think I'm telling too much of his story to say he experienced that. And I was able to witness that. I mean, when I showed up at Family Week, uh, it's interesting. Anyone who's actually been to Family Week anywhere or who's had a person they love who's been in rehab seems to relate very much to the moment where you as the partner are distraught and frazzled and anxious. And then you show up and there's your partner in this kind of graceful ease uh, and it's maddening and also exciting because I mean for my husband he was keeping a secret for decades and then there was some even though it was a dark dark moment for him there was some relief for him it seemed that he wasn't holding that secret anymore but I had to catch up and I'm still catching up in some yeah. ways there was some feeling of the truth coming out and being free mm -hmm. that is like more powerful than all of, um, I can't speak for you, the consequence, whatever else comes yeah. with that. Yeah. My, um, my angel who I refer to in the play, um, con you know, she found me through a friend of a friend and she said early on, this isn't in the play. She said, oh, it's so great. It's in the press. And I was like, uh, no, it is not great. It is horrible and it's terrifying. And now we can't. And she said, Maddie, it is not your job to keep the secret. And if it weren't in the press, it would be up to you and the kids. And it's not your job. You don't have to do that dance. And nobody has to decide who do we tell, who don't we tell, because it's out. And there's some grace in that. Now I did not, um, believe her in that moment or see that, but I, I, I have days now where I do see that because I know people who are still keeping secrets for their partners or themselves. Sometimes they think they're keeping a secret that, you know, they Everybody eventually, knows. they tell yeah, their kids yeah. and their kids are like, yeah, we know dad had an affair or we know that you yeah, yeah. went through, um, 
a, a real addiction and recovery. And we think we're keeping things from our kids and they're way savvier than yeah, we yeah, yeah. know. There's a great line where you say towards the end, uh, I'm not okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure you all know that I'm not okay. Now I say it at the beginning. <laughs> um, but weirdly enough, the the entire performance has some level of, of okayness to yeah. it. There's like an interesting paradox. Yeah. I was thinking I should call this episode Maddie Corman is not okay with a <laughs> not in parentheses. Yeah. Because there's this okay, not okay yeah. truth about all of life. Because the story does have a beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. But the end is just another beginning. Which is, I think, why... The gift you're giving is so powerful. Is there's been enough years, and you've you're far enough along. That's not just a beginning and a middle. Hey, I'm in agony. We're all in agony. Right. Which doesn't help. There's a bit of solidarity, and then we're all like we're all in the same boat. That's thinking, but you do these little moves of, and now I'm here. Yeah. Along with this announcement of I'm not okay. Well, I think that you know my mom died when I was young, 16, and I really didn't, like I was saying before, I didn't want anyone else to be uncomfortable. And it's uncomfortable when people are not okay. When people ask how you are, I think they usually want you to go, I'm good. Yeah, everything's fine. Everything's fine. How are the kids? They're great, you know, or they're horrible. But like this in-between thing is uncomfortable, or at least I perceived that people were uncomfortable. So I just rushed to be over things. It's not that I'm not okay. It's just that who is okay, you know, and what is okay. And there's not a lot of nuance in that. So some days I'm 15 different things within an hour, you know, and my husband and I are closer in some ways than we've ever been. Now, would I wish this on anybody? No. But are there gifts there? Yes. And that's more complicated than just saying, I'm okay. And everyone just wants to know, why did you stay? Why didn't you leave? And that's one of the reasons I wanted to tell this story this way is that that's not a simple answer. And, you know, I don't want to, I said earlier, I don't want to be defined by my story, but I think the first time I had something really catastrophic happen when my mom died, I just wanted to put that away and say, that's not part of who I am. I don't want you to feel sorry for me, but that's a really big part of who I am. That loss yeah. is one of the main things about me. And, um, I pushed it away too soon. So I think, yes, of course I am not on the bathroom floor every night anymore, but I don't want to announce I'm okay because I don't want to give away that nuance, that opportunity to say, I'm a work in progress. And I don't want my kids to have to feel like, we're good, we're good. Let's show everybody how good we are. We're, we're a lot of things. And we're a family. And I'm proud of our family. And I think in some ways the play is a love letter to family. But we looked really good on Facebook and I didn't know what my husband was doing. I didn't know he was a porn addict, but something was off. Something felt not right. And there was a lot of tension and irritability and there was also a lot of love. So it's a, it's just complicated and messy. And there are some days I look back and go, wait, what was my history? What was that? And it's a lot of things, you know, the truth is there were some bad moments and there were some good moments. And he wasn't a bad person who's now a good person. He was 
a good person who was sick and is getting better now. Oh, so beautiful. You come out afterwards. I do. And talk to people. I do. Have you done performances where you came out and talked to people afterwards? Or is that new for you to, to finish? Because obviously television You mean and in movies, other... Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've done um, a lot of plays where I come out afterwards, but... Um, this has got to this be a is completely a different, new First space. of all, it's only me. Um, yeah. Second of all, it's very triggering for a lot of people, and a lot of people want to share their secrets with me. Um, and that is an honor, and I take it seriously, but it also can be overwhelming, and also yes. I have to go home. And the so, show... I think the talking afterwards takes more energy than the show. It does for me in a lot of ways because I'm also not the greatest at receiving compliments. And I mean, I don't love receiving criticism either, but <laughs> either way can be just kind of, it's just a lot. Um, yeah. But yeah. I also feel like I, I, I say this in the show and I mean it. I really mean it. And I said it to Kristen when I first sat in her apartment. I want to be of service. Someone was of service to me. It's a big part of the opportunity of this being both public and me being an artist and a person who tells stories. I feel like, I don't want to be so high and mighty to say I was chosen, but I feel like there's an opportunity here. And I don't then want to say to people, well, that's it. You know, that's part of the story is that it opens up things and people get to share. Um, I haven't quite figured out the balance of, um, I can't write back to every single person, but look, I know there are people, you know, there are books I read. Motherless Daughters is a book I read when I was, um, probably, I don't know, five or 10 years into mourning my mom. And it was the first time I had heard someone, um, expressing the feelings that I had. And if I, see Hope Edelman, who wrote that book, I will want to hug her and tell her, thank you, I love you. So I am honored that people want to hug me and say, you said, you put into words something I was feeling or am feeling. That's a, I mean, that's amazing. So I don't want to not do that, but um, but I haven't quite figured out the balance yet. But that's a luxury problem to have. Look, yes. I mean, <laughs> yes. doing this eight times a week is exhausting. Hearing people's crazy stories is exhausting. I will take that any day over what I have been through. <laughs> Getting to meet people like you, you know, it's like, this is incredible. So, so you know what? I have a girlfriend, Daisy, who I love very much. And she was talking about kids when we were all like, we're so tired. This is years ago when we had little kids and we were all saying, we're tired, we're tired. And she so, said at one point, you know what? You're going to be tired. So, so you're tired, but you know, it's kind of like childbirth. It, then you get this great prize at the end. So this is a lot better that my biggest issue should be that I'm tired from getting to share a story and having people want to share with me. That's a, that's, yeah. that's a pretty good thing to have to deal with. Absolutely. So you just you just did a show. You came here to talk to me. Now you're going I home did. with your family, and you're yes. going to do a number of shows the rest of the week, and then through July. Where is the? Where can people tickets? Oh, name yes. of, um, all that. Let's well, do all the show's that. called Accidentally Brave, and so that's kind of easy to remember. You can go on accidentallybrave.com, and all the information is there. The theater is in Union Square. It's a really cozy space. It's small. So, on um, what I've 
been told, and I certainly feel it actually, is that it almost becomes kind of a communal experience. People have held on to people <laughs> sitting next to them that they've never met before. And there is something because it's a small space that we all kind of take this, I hate the word journey, but we take this thing together. No, I, ha I felt that even in the preview, like, oh, I, we're, we're, we're all going somewhere together yeah. and I kind of know where it's headed and I have no idea. It's, I'm just cheering you on. It's Thank you so much. You. It's an honor I to sit with you. I can't imagine how many people this is helping and going to help. I really hope so. Yeah. I really do. It's really, really beautiful and significant. Thank you, Rob. And thank you for letting me ask you all the questions I've wanted to ask you since I saw it. I am excited. If you have more questions, we'll talk another time. Okay, we'll do that. All right. Thank you. My pleasure.